listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So we're, we're continuing our, our series, Serve and Be Served. And it's a part of our kind of Lenten practice here at Oasis. So for those of you who perhaps didn't grow up in a church that practiced Lent, it's the 40 days that precedes Easter, and it commemorates Jesus' time in the wilderness and his temptations. And it's celebrated nowadays as a way of preparing ourselves to celebrate the resurrection. So when Easter and Easter time, the whole Easter tide season comes, we're going to celebrate and be celebrated. We've just come from Epiphany where we uh, were known. Our, our Epiphany uh, theme was know and be known. So serve and be served. So when we're thinking about service, the first thing I think we should think about as a church is our worship service. Like that's what we call this, this Sunday morning gathering. This is a worship service. And whom have we come to serve? Well, none other than the Lord God Almighty. Like, that is the chief end of a human being, is to enjoy God, is to worship God, and to enjoy God forever. That was the first question and answer to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I know this because I went to a Presbyterian college, and I once memorized all 114 questions and answers. I know, that was a lot to do. Thank you, Ed. Um, and I wouldn't have done it just for fun, but I was wanting to study abroad in Israel, and there was a scholarship competition, and you couldn't enter the competition. Like, in order to enter the competition, you had to recite all 114 questions and answers. I thought, that's a lot to do, just to enter the competition. Like, they should pay you just for that. <laughs> but anyway, I probably couldn't tell you many more of them. I know the Ten Commandments are in there somewhere. But the first one is what is the chief end? What is the purpose of a human being? And the answer is to worship God and enjoy God forever. So a worship service, we come to serve God. We come to sing, to pray, to hear scripture read, to partake of communion, to fellowship with one another, uh, to pray for others and to be prayed for. Like that is a worship service. And unfortunately, I think too, much, too many times in our culture, we think of church as almost something, we think of it first and foremost as something I go and get something out of. Like, I'll go to this church because I get, it offers me a service, right? So there might be like a children's service or a youth service or a young adult service, or there, there might be kind of some kind of service that I get out of it. And certainly that's true, and I hope you do experience that here at Oasis. But that's not our first and our primary purpose. That's not why I'm coming primarily, right? I'm coming with the rest of you and we are here to worship God together. Like that's our first goal is for us to serve God. And as, as Chris was telling us last week in his sermon that our service of God is only possible because God has first served us. That God loves us, and God's love is transformative. God's love changes us into the type of people who can respond with love and can respond with service. 
So whether we're serving God or whether we're serving someone else, that's only possible because of God's love for us. And then now we do that in a way, really we're just participating in God's loving service. Like God is the initiator. And we're going to kind of pick up on that idea as we look at Paul's letter to the Romans, which is our primary passage for today. This is in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 1 and read down through verse 5, and then I'm going to skip a bit and then read 13 through 17. So Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 4. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. For the promise that he would inherit for the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Amen? Amen. So what's going on here, right? So Abraham, Paul is telling us, is found righteous. Not because of something that he did. Because if it was based on something that he did, that wouldn't be a free gift. So a lot of you have jobs, and then you go to work, and then your employer pays you some money. The money that the employer pays you is not a gift. You've worked for that money. You've kind of earned it. It's due to you. But righteousness doesn't work that way. We don't earn our righteousness. It doesn't come to us by something that we do. Because if it did, then we'd have something to boast about. And if it was something that we could earn, then it, was, it would also be something that we could fail to earn. And that's just not the gospel. I mean, I love this part. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Like, it doesn't give you any boasting before God. Because this was God's doing. Like, from the very beginning, it wasn't like Abraham had gotten the story just right. And then God said, well, you've done it all, so... I guess I got to say, you're the one. 
it worked, it worked completely opposite. God kind of called Abraham. God chose Abraham. So this idea, I think, is a difficult one for us. And I think partially because we've inherited as, as kind of Protestant Christians. Uh, you know, Protestant is an interesting word. The, the root word of Protestant is protest. So if, if your name <laughs> is rooted with the word protest, you might be able to assume that the group that you're a part of is kind of constantly putting up a fight. Thanks for laughing. And in a constant fighting position is probably not the best position to live in all, all the time. Like, <clears throat> I'm not saying that the Protestant reformers, there wasn't something that needed to be reformed. In fact, the reformers would say the church is reformed and always reforming. Like, we're, we should always be open to what the Spirit is guiding us to. But have you ever, in the midst of an argument, said something that you regretted? Said something that was too harsh? That was too strong? It was kind of the language of the argument. It was the language of protest. It wasn't like where you'd like to actually live, where you'd like to kind of camp out all the time. And so when Luther was having his argument with the Catholics some 500 years ago now, Luther was reading Romans. It was this passage in Romans that kind of prompted his, his protest. And he wanted to say that faith, that becoming Christian was a matter of faith, not a matter of works. So you didn't kind of earn, earn your way. And that idea of kind of justification by faith as opposed to justification by works people have thought, well, that must be what was going on between Paul and the law, or even earlier, between Jesus and the Pharisees. But the last 50 or so years in kind of professional biblical studies, which is what I do for a living, you know, um, when they say some biblical scholars say, sometimes that's me, <laughs> right? I, I'm a biblical scholar. I, I'm, I'm the type of person who says those type of things. And one of the things that biblical scholars have said is, uh, we've taken that kind of um, argument that's now some 500 years ago, 16th century argument, and we've read it back a bit into the ancient world. Because there's really no self-respecting Pharisee who thought that somehow keeping the Torah just made you the people of God. Like, you didn't become Jewish because you kept the Torah. You kept the Torah because you were Jewish. Like, that's what they believed. And so that the argument between Luther and the Catholics is not identical to the argument here between Paul and the law. It's not a one-for-one. One. So in the ancient world, what were the Pharisees teaching their fellow Hebrews, their fellow Israelites? Well, how many gods did they believe in? One, very good. And that one God had chosen, had created everything, and had chosen Abraham. And then Abraham's descendants, and maybe not all of his descendants, but Abraham's descendants that came down our part of the family tree, we'd say. Maybe not our part, but their part of the family tree. right? So not Ishmael, 
not, you know, but Isaac, not Esau, but Jacob, and then all of kind of Jacob's kids, right? That part of the family tree. So what made you Jewish was that your parents were Jewish. Like even, with, even in Abraham's time, Abraham was not considered a Jew, right? A- Abraham was the father of the Hebrews. But the Hebrews is a great big group of people. But that great big group, right, God said to Abraham, I will bless you. I will make your descendants a nation. And through that nation, I will bless the world. But that nation was Israel, a group that was made up of 12 different tribes. But unfortunately, that unified kingdom didn't last very long. Saul, David, Solomon. That's it. Made it through three kings. Not those three kings. It's the different three kings. But Saul, David, and Solomon. And after Solomon, the kingdom divided into two. But it wasn't an even division, right? There were... Stay with me here. I I know it's getting a little technical, but I'll I'll get us through. There were ten kingdoms in the north. We called that group Israel. But they got destroyed. They got scattered. Like, we actually don't know where their descendants are. There's no one on planet Earth who can trace their lineage through one of those ten. They just got smashed by a group called the Assyrians. It was bad. Really bad. And the only group that was left, there were two small tribes. One was called Judah, and the other was called Benjamin. But Judah was the bigger of the two. And so, if you're part of that group, and that group got exiled into Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, and there still, to this day, is people in Iraq who are descendants of those folks. They're from the tribe of Judah, so hence they are called the Jews. So that's where the term Jews comes from. So how would you become a Hebrew? How would you become Jewish is the term we would use today. It's because your mom and or dad were Jewish. Like you were born that way. Like if anybody in here is Jewish, I don't, I don't know. You don't, don't have to necessarily identify yourself. But if you are, you're that way because your parents were Jewish and their parents were Jewish and their parents were Jewish. Like that's how you became Jewish. You were born that way. It wasn't because you did something right that made you that way. So, a better way perhaps to read Romans 4 And the reason, I think, that Paul goes back to Abraham is because the the Jewish leadership of his day were basically arguing a form of righteousness by birth. So when Paul says that Abraham was righteous by faith, it means he was not righteous by birth. And it's it's a very logical argument. Like if... If the Jews are the people of God, well, how did they become that way? Well, God chose them. Well, how do you know you're Jewish? Well, mom and dad are Jewish. I mean, in a modern world, um, the family lines go through the mom, not through the dad. You may already know this. It's kind of a tragic story, really. Like most other people groups um, in our world, we live in a very 
kind of male-dominated, not male-dominated, male-preferred world. And so this hasn't been, nor is it now, the easiest place to be a woman. And so in their culture, it was because who your dad was, right? You were the son of, like just think of all the genealogies in Scripture. You're the son of Joseph, and Joseph is the son of someone else, and son of someone else, and son of someone else, right? But that's not how, to this day, we mark uh, Jewish identity. So if someone who's Jewish and they want to immigrate to the modern state of Israel, become an Israeli, it's easy to do so if your mother's Jewish. It's, it's possible, but it's more difficult to do so if your father's Jewish. It's traced through the mom because about the time, or shortly thereafter, that Paul was writing to the Romans, the Roman military, the Roman government, so crushed the Jewish people and their country and their temple and their, and their city that it was kind of impossible to know um, who was now a descendant of a Jewish man. Let me, let me put it more bluntly, and I apologize for this. There were so many Jewish women raped during that war that we couldn't know who their fathers were. But we know if you came from a Jewish mom that you were Jewish. That so affected that culture that to this day it's easier to immigrate if your mom's Jewish. That's a horrible story. It, it shows like what we're willing to kind of do to one another. It has nothing to do with serving and being served. It has to do with dominating everyone you can. But that is not our story. Our story is this, and this is what I think Paul's trying to say to us, is that in, in a culture where it mattered who your parents were, and you can always back that up another generation and another generation, eventually we get back to Abraham. And Abraham's parents weren't Hebrews. Like, it starts with him. So if whoever it starts with, how did he ever get justified? How was he ever found righteous? And Paul says he was found righteous by faith. So if Abraham was found righteous by faith, then that's the way people are found righteous. Not by birth, and not by sacrifice or keeping the calendar or eating kosher. Like, there's no works of the law. Because if the works of the law made you righteous, then you're getting paid for what you did. And that's not what's happening here. We're not receiving payment for good behavior. Which is good news because our behavior is often not so good. We, either we do things individually or we participate in kind of societal ills uh, that mar us. During this Lenten season, when we made the decision to open our call to worship, opening our services with a call to worship with a collective confession, it says, 
God, I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, forgive us. I'd said I in all of those. I should have said we. Right? It's a communal confession. And I think, kind of growing up in the church I grew up in, I didn't hear much about communal sins. Sins were a very kind of individual thing. It was something that I did, that I was guilty of, and then that I needed to confess. There is some truth to that. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But I want you to hear this. We collectively participate in ills of the world. And we need to confess those sins. They are all around us. Our greed, our consumerism, uh, sexism, racism, the way in which we other people. And it's in the air we breathe. It's, it's how we live. It's things that we are even unaware of, but yet we are doing. And we, we need to confess those things. We have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved God as we should. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, And we ask God, for the sake of Jesus Christ, to forgive us. So we're going to say that every Sunday, together. One of the beauties of that is that it's not just a matter of our confession of our sins. That call to worship also ends with a shared announcement of forgiveness. Like we collectively confess, and then, and then today it was Dennis, he read to us that the Lord God Almighty is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And it's now after that, right? That's, that's grace and that's peace. And so then we share it with one another because it's been given to us. But the faith, while it is communal, while we are the body of Christ and the family of God and the temple of the Holy Spirit... It is also personal. It involves me. Like this particular person in this particular body. And there's sometimes things that I do and there's sometimes things I don't do that I should that I need to confess. It's not those just those collective things that, you know, we live and breathe in this kind of fallen culture and we participate in. John the Revelator will speak of it like this, the communal sins. He's like, who can withstand the power of the beast? Like, the beast is so powerful that it permeates life systems. And we need to be cleaned from that. And I think that's true. But I also think this is true. (laughs) That there are some sins that not everybody's committing, but that I am. And I need to confess those sins too. And I want there to be a place at Oasis, a safe place for that to happen. 
This is kind of one of the things we're doing on Tuesday nights in our Linton Lab series. Is, is we want that to be a place that can happen. Or when people come forward for prayer, there's all sorts of reasons why I think you should avail yourself of that ministry of the church. That when we, we invite you forward to come for prayer, there's all sorts of reasons to come, right? You may be sick. Maybe someone you know is sick. Uh, you may be having all sorts of kind of different struggles in your life that you want prayer for. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's the job. Maybe it's the family. Uh, maybe it's the boss. I don't know. There's all sorts of things we might need prayer for. But one of the things that we need prayer for is forgiveness for our sins. And again, not just our kind of collective sins that we announce together, but our, but our individual sins. And you might think, well, I don't have to tell anybody else that. And I guess there's some truth to that. But Jesus told his disciples, the sins that you forgive will be forgiven, and the sins that you retain will be retained. And he also said, when you come for prayer, you should confess your sins. Listen, sin, let's see if I can be as clear as possible here. Sin doesn't do anything to hurt God. Like, God can't be hurt. My sin hurts me. That's why God's against it. God's not against me. He's against my sin because my sin hurts me. Like we just came on the, those Tuesday nights during Epiphany, we came through the Enneagram, and part of the study of that is your personality, but the Enneagram kind of focuses in on kind of your weaknesses, how you don't do things right. So we have proclivities, each of us, towards certain types of sin. There are some sins that would never really um, affect me because there are no, no temptation for me. Remembering that the season of Lent kind of commemorates Jesus' time in the wilderness and his temptations. Right? So what tempted Jesus? That's interesting. Turn, in Matthew's account of the story, turn all these stones into loaves of bread. I think the temptation there is not just to feed himself, but to, but to feed the masses. That's what the Messiah is supposed to do. Look. I'm looking at Alan and Beth here, and they run the Blessings and Hope Food Pantry. If, if you think you want to feed people in Lakeland and the greater Polk County and abolish or at least uh, withstand kind of the food insecurity, then how much more did Jesus want to feed the hungry? And so there's the temptation. Just do it. And of course, you know, later in the story, he does multiply bread. Later in the story, he does do miraculous things. Later in the story, he is announced as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So it's not what was happening, but it was kind of when and how. Like that's, that was the challenge. Timing and method. So before it was time in a method that was wrong, then that's wrong. But not, not later 
and not by different means. So what, how, how do we practice all this in, a, in the idea of serving and being served? Forgiveness is something that we can all give. That's a form of service to the other. Our God is a forgiver. And he has called on us to be forgivers. One of the ways you can serve the people in your life is to forgive them. And we do that because God has forgiven us. Now, for some of you, you have a difficult time forgiving yourself of things. So, serve and be served. Receive the forgiveness that the Lord offers you. Receive the forgiveness that someone that you have wronged offers you. And then become that. Right? Augustine would say to his church, when he served communion, behold what you are and become what you receive. Behold that, yeah, I'm a sinner, but become what you receive, the body and blood of Christ. And in becoming that, you then are Christ in the world. So again, we do this together and we do this personally. I prefer, I prefer the term personally over individually because individually to me sounds too much like we're doing it in isolation. The faith is personal, but it's not private. It's something that we do in public. We do it with our families. We do it with our friends. We do it with our coworkers. We do it with our fellow citizens. Like that's where it's practiced. And so we come to the table weekly. And we do that because we're told to. We do that because it is practicing the reception of forgiveness. Like we even say it. We say we receive communion. Like we don't say we take communion. We're receiving a gift. We didn't earn it. No one earned a right to come to the table. But the table is open to everyone. Like, you, you can't disqualify yourself from this because this is Jesus' invitation. Now, Paul will tell us to examine ourselves and to not take the table in an unworthy manner. That message, though, is a message to, to the church, particularly, I think, to the church leaders. Not, not to those who are on the margins. Because Jesus is ready and willing and waiting to serve us all. We just got to make sure we get out of the way. I'd like for us to, to say well, two things. One, John 3.16. You know that one? It's kind of like a, a real famous verse. You see it sometimes at baseball games on posters. People like holding up John 3.16. Sometimes football players have it like 
underneath their eyes on the black part, and it says, you know, like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall, shall not perish, but shall receive eternal life. That's a good one. You know what the next verse says? Fred is exactly right. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that through him the world might be saved. The judge has come not to condemn, but to save. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, and God sent his son not to condemn the world. I, I really need you to hear this. God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. God is on our side. And God is on their side. <laughs> so they are part of us. Because Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn it. So we pray. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, or some traditions call it the Our Father, you can only pray the Lord's Prayer in the first person plural. It's the Our Father. It's not the My Father. Like Even if you're praying it by yourself, like some people use it more as like a pattern, so they'll pray like a similar way. That's, it's a practice. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I wouldn't discourage it. I think it's healthy. But then a lot of people just recite the prayer. But the prayer itself can only be prayed. Even if you're by yourself, you still pray, Our Father who is in heaven. Yeah? Because even if in the moment you're by yourself, you're never fully by yourself. Because we are always with one another. And for one another. We're going to put the Lord's Prayer on the screen for us, just in case it's been a while since you prayed it. And because uh, it varies a little bit between that whole trespasses and debts things, you know. So let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.